Hello, this is Sean Dixon, and I'm here with Brian Patterson and John Gonzalez. We are each returned mission presidents for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and this is the Preach My Gospel Mission Prep Podcast. We are here to help prepare you to become successful Preach My Gospel missionaries and lifelong disciples of Jesus Christ. In each episode, we explore powerful concepts from every chapter in Preach My Gospel. We will talk to return missionaries and others about their experiences and insights. You can even use this podcast to get institute credit. Let's get started. Hey everyone, it's great to be back together again today. We are excited to welcome onto the to this episode Michelle Dixon. She's been with us a couple different times on episodes. She's my beautiful wife. A repeat performer. Re- repeat performer. Yeah, right. we, we get better when she's here. So we're like, we, we need Michelle back. And she is, for those of you who aren't aware, she is the one that's running our Instagram page. And so if any of you have not checked out the Instagram page and follow it, we highly uh, encourage you to do that. It can be found at preach underscore my underscore gospel underscore podcast. And there is a lot of great material there. Michelle, anything you want to say about uh, what's going on on the, the Instagram page? Yeah, the whole concept of the, the Instagram page is just that you can get daily tips and insight into preparing so that preparing can become natural and normal part of your, your life. And so we try to just put tidbits in there of things that will help you and keep the mission on your mind. There's so many things coming across a young person's feed if you're on Instagram. What a what an awesome thing to have things just every day popping up that can help you prepare yeah. for the mission. And I think it might also help like parents and leaders to have some resources or to kind of connect them to the resources that are available to those who are helping others prepare or helping them on their mission while they're serving. You know, if you join them in the work, if you understand preach my gospel, you can help your missionary in a unique way. So true. Great, great reference material there. Brian, John, how are you guys doing today? We're doing great. John's fresh off a trip to England, and that would sound yeah. like an awesome experience. It was a wonderful experience. We got to go visit Preston and see where the church uh, started its international mission, where the first baptisms occurred in the river. We even saw the apartment where President Hinckley was as a missionary when he wrote his famed letter home saying, Dad, this is a waste of my time. (laughs) Your money. And where he received a reply from his father, forget yourself and get to work, (laughs) which changed his whole life. Anyway, it was a wonderful experience to be back there. It was great. Good to have you back. Brian, how's it going? Uh, just living my life vicariously through John and his <laughs> world travels as so I true. make my commute from Springville to the Orem, you know, at Utah Valley Institute. So it's exciting. We only barely like him, you know? Yeah. So today we'll be doing uh, chapter 13. This is, the, this is not our final episode uh, of this season, but is the last chapter in Preach My Gospel on how do I work with stake and ward leaders. And as a former mission leader, Michelle uh, was very involved in this, and so we thought she'd be perfect to, to come and join in the conversation on this today. I actually want to start off with a, with a really famous scripture that most, most people are very familiar with. It's found in Doctrine and Covenants, section 18. This is uh, something that's taught a lot in seminary, so hopefully a lot of you young listeners will be familiar with this. But beginning in verse 10... 
it says, remember, the worth of souls is great in the sight of God. And then we typically jump down to verse 15, and it says, And if it so be that ye should labor all your days in crying repentance unto this people, and bring, save it be one soul unto me, how great shall be your joy with him in the kingdom of my Father. And now if your joy will be great with one soul that ye have brought unto me into the kingdom of my Father, how great will be your joy if you should bring many souls unto me. I think we do a disservice when we skip those middle verses, 11 to 14, because those verses tell us why every single soul is, so, is worth so much in the sight of God. Verse 11, For behold, the Lord your Redeemer suffered death in the flesh, wherefore he suffered the pain of all men, that all men might repent and come unto him. And he hath risen again from the dead, that he might bring all men unto him on conditions of repentance. And how great is his joy in the soul that repenteth. Wherefore, you are called to cry repentance unto this people. So the worth of souls is great because of the price that was paid for those souls, because of Jesus' sacrifice. And as we start off chapter 13 of Preach My Gospel, it talks about the, the new member. And I was just thinking of, of a new member in the context of these verses and how valuable the soul of that person is. This isn't just the notch on a missionary's belt. This isn't just a statistic that tells you that your area is successful or to justify your existence as a missionary. This is a human being. This is a son or daughter of God. And when they've been baptized, as we talked about in chapter 12 and have had this wonderful baptismal service, that is merely the gate that is opened up for them as they continue along the covenant path. But that convert needs to be treated as if their soul has this incredible worth. Jesus paid the price for that soul, and we have to give that soul the utmost care. We have to give them our full attention to help them to become successful along their continued journey back to the presence of Heavenly Father. So this, this first section in, uh, on page 215, moving over to 216, gives some really wonderful paragraphs about that. I'm wondering if, if any of you have any comments about the worth of the new member's soul and what missionary, the missionary's role is in helping them successfully move along the covenant path. You can almost feel the words of, of President Gordon B. Hinckley, uh, who cared so deeply, as all prophets do, about these recent converts and how precious they are. But you can almost feel his words here. He says, there's absolutely no point in doing missionary work unless we hold on to the fruits of that effort. The two must be inseparable. Every convert is a great and serious responsibility. I think those are words you first have to feel. And I'm also thinking that as you're teaching and working with the families, you have developed a relationship with them. And when you move on, you want to leave them in good hands. So there's a vested interest on your part to really make this work well and bring it together between those you're entrusting this wonderful family that you've met with and worked with and and seen miracles with and and the people that they now will be associating with and in some cases starting a new life with a new culture 
as they start the, the on the covenant path. We we see this God's teamwork thing happening now, right? We see in missionary work how he set this up to work so that not one soul would be lost. And the organization of it is quite extraordinary, but it does have to be understood. Again, President Hinckley felt so deeply about these new converts and, and retaining them and holding on to them that uh, you'll recall he gave uh, the three things that every new convert needs. Uh, and we can find that on, in Preach My Gospel on page 217, that every new convert needs a friend. And that friend goes beyond the missionaries. Uh, they need an assignment or a responsibility. Uh, and every convert needs to be nourished by the good word of God. Elder Patrick Kieran of the 70 uh, at a mission leadership seminar uh, highlighted these, these three important things that every new convert needs. And, and he spoke of an experience he had with President Hinckley. And uh, he said, and these were his words, and I'm paraphrasing. He said, one of President Hinckley's greatest fears was that he would be remembered as the prophet who built a lot of temples. And so to make sure that he would be remembered as the prophet who said, every new convert needs three things. He said, I'm going to sit up in my coffin and I'm going to say, every new convert needs three things, right? A friend, a, an assignment, a responsibility to be nourished by the good word of God. And, wow. uh, uh, and so this is, this is important. What, what would a missionary need to understand about these three things? Or what would that look like? Well, you know, we're talking about chapter 13 of Preach My Gospel, the stake and ward leadership, the organization. The friend part comes directly through the stake and the ward. It's the ward family, the friends that develop out of that, that only the ward can help. Sure, the missionaries have established a friendship, but that has to transition now to the ward. They need a responsibility. The missionary can't give them a responsibility. Uh, that's where the ward comes in. And then the warden... And in this sense, a responsibility is, is often a calling or an assignment from the bishop. Right, right. And then to be nourished by the good word of the Lord, that, that's where this kind of comes more so on the missionary because the members are really focused on the first two or should be focused on all three, but focused on the first two. It's the missionary that really has to carry the initial load on nourished by the good word right? and have those new member lessons. To me, it communicates that I don't do anything as a missionary without first trying to get members with me. You know, in everything that I do, I always have members with me. So they're gaining friendships and building those relationships. But we do lead out as missionaries on this principle. It says right in Preach My Gospel, one of our duties is to lead out in teaching all five missionary lessons to new members after baptism and when appropriate to returning members. Ward missionaries and ministering brothers and sisters can also help teach these principles. So we're all a team. We're all doing it. But I don't even know if many of our listeners really understand that there are these five lessons and they're crucial. What's the value? The missionaries have just taught the five lessons preceding the baptism. They've just finished however long it took to teach those five lessons and now you have the baptism. What's the value 
of going back into the home and reteaching those five lessons. Now this new convert has the gift of the Holy Ghost, the, the great teacher. Uh, and so it's not the missionary is going to give the same lesson. It's as, I'm, as we're talking about the Book of Mormon, for example, in, in Lesson 1, uh, they've had some experience with the Book of Mormon. We're not introducing the Book of Mormon. Now we're helping them share their experience and how they're growing. And maybe, maybe even help them learn some, some effective ways to study the Book of Mormon uh, and, and why it would be important that they continue through and, and, and finish reading the Book of Mormon on a, on a daily basis. Or, or yeah. we bring in the Temple and Family History Consultants uh, to teach them about how, how to identify family names. And so the, it's the same five lessons, but it ought to look differently now. Yeah, it looks differently primarily because of who's there. Notice what it says. It says we lead out, but who's working with us? Word missionaries and ministering brothers and sisters, right? Now this gives them an opportunity to teach. This gives them an opportunity. It's a little bit different than when we're really trying to get that doctrine to prepare them for baptism. Now we're talking about the next level, and they're with us. It's a great opportunity to strengthen them. And it's a beginning of a lifelong experience of hearing the same lessons over and over and over again. I'm hearing the lessons in Sunday school, in my elders' quorum instruction, taught a little bit differently. I'm hearing the same lesson at general conference. I'm hearing the same five lessons every time I'm engaged in the gospel of Jesus Christ in a teaching setting. And it's definitely packaged a little bit differently here in the new member lessons. And notice in that paragraph it says, under the direction of the bishop, the ward council has first responsibility for strengthening new members and returning members. They make sure that new converts and returning members have friends, are nourished by the word of God, and receive callings and responsibilities. They may request that full-time missionaries help minister to and visit new members. So I, I think that's important to note. The primary responsibility resides with the ward council. I think the missionary's job is to make sure that that connection has occurred and that they're there to help and assist that ward council in any way they possibly can. I think in many of the areas that I saw, the ward council saw this perhaps as the missionaries having the primary responsibility and that they were there to assist the missionaries. Which we really have backwards in a lot of places. We want to see the the baptizing converts, missionary work, and retaining new converts is all one work. It's the work of the missionaries. It's the work of the members. There's this really great tool now on our tools app that all members have access to, and it's called the Covenant Path Progress, where we can go through and identify every person who's been baptized. And for a full year, as you look at this little app, you can mark off every week they attend sacrament meeting. So you're tracking that. Uh, who are their friends? Who, who are the people that are fellowshipping them and, and, and reaching out to them and welcoming them into their lives? It, it identifies uh, what their calling is. Uh, it identifies who their, what their ministering assignment is. We want them to learn to be ministering brothers and sisters, as well as who's assigned to minister to them. Uh, it goes through and it, it highlights all the missionary lessons and what principles they've been taught. 
it, it highlights whether they've prepared a name for the temple. Have they gone to the temple to perform those ordinances? And, and uh, now we have this in our hands. This is how serious we are about holding on to these wonderful and precious new converts in the church. And so this is becoming more and more, I think, obvious. It's always been important, but it's becoming this focus to really hold on to those that were helping. Fantastic tool. So I, I have a question. What do you do? And I had missionaries ask me this question. We understand this. We understand the primary responsibilities with the ward council, but in, in many places where missionaries will be serving, it's in the developing parts of the world. It may not be like their Utah ward. Michelle, I'm just curious about your thoughts. What does a missionary do if he goes into a, a ward or a branch and it's, it's not happening this way? You know, knowing that the bishop has the keys and they don't want to impose and tell a bishop how to do things, how do you sensitively help inspire and train a ward to, to rise up to their responsibility? I'm curious if you have thoughts or anybody else on that, because I think that's a reality that, that most missionaries will face. I agree. First of all, I wouldn't make the assumption necessarily that we all understand this. I don't think we understand this. Because the way I hear us talk to missionaries is, what can we do to help you? And the question should be, you know, the missionary asking, what can we do to help you in this work, right? In finding these these people and then working together to teach them. So I wouldn't assume that. But when we do hit that, and we will, absolutely we will, and do, I think we, we set the tone for that relationship right off the top, right? We go to word council if we're invited to attend word council. We go to word council and we start right off asking the young woman's leader, hey, what, what is burdening you? And how can we help? Who is, who of, I mean, because isn't who she's working with, aren't these all recent converts, <laughs> right? So who is burdening you and how can we help you? Who could we visit and take off your list and lighten your load with? So conversations like that. I'm here to help you make your assignment easier and lighter, right? And then also if we go in absolutely as a new missionary to the area saying, all right, I see that brother so-and-so, what's his calling now? What do you have him doing? What are his interests? Who are his people? And constantly keeping on the minds of those leaders, those new people. If we put our minds into the perspective of, of a new member of our faith, right? And all the overwhelming things that have to go into it. And we've just had these missionaries who've become part of our family. We love them so much. They've helped us to just find God in a new way. So we love them so much. And then what if the new ones come in and they don't care about us. What if they don't even know our name? They don't even realize we're new. That is a miss that I don't think God wants us to have. It's not my convert, not my responsibility. As, as we've been talking about this, a couple of thoughts comes to mind. One thing that Brian said, it's all one work. There is a tendency in, in life to think us versus them, no matter what we're doing men and women, us versus them. You know, men do this, women do that. You don't understand me. 
Okay, but uh, you don't. <laughs> we can talk about that later. But <laughs> I do, <laughs> and I know what's He's best. A rena- John is. A I re- know what's best. <laughs> He's a Renaissance man. <laughs> yep. And and even in our sports, you know, us versus them. Who's going to win? The competitive. With a competitive mindset. And so, in the mission field, there's a tendency to think us, the missionaries, versus them, the members, and they're not doing their. Part. And we as the members are thinking, gee, they're not working. And, and Brian, you mentioned it's all one work. I remember uh, a boss of mine when I was with the CIA brought me in and he said, John, we're going to give you a new assignment. You're going to be assigned to the State Department as the agency's representative with the State Department's building program. The State Department is the landlord of all buildings overseas, you know, the embassies. And so all the different agencies that are, have international presence are, are basically tenants of the landlord uh, in an embassy. And so you have to coordinate your requirements of your offices with the landlord. And so I sat down at the State Department with a staff of, of engineers and architects and security personnel to coordinate our requirements wherever it would be in the world through the State Department. So I would interact uh, with them, and my counterpart was the Assistant Secretary of State for buildings overseas. And this is what my boss said. John, you're going to have to go down, and in order to be successful, you're going to have to you and your staff are going to have to do about 50% of the work that the State Department should be doing and 100% of your work. And then you've got to give all the credit to the State Department. <laughs> okay. Well said. <laughs> and, and I look back on it, and he was absolutely true, and I'm glad that he gave that to me. It was a little bit more work for us. And, and they were busy. This is not to knock other entities, or, but they were busy with all of their requirements. But we ended up doing half of their work in order to facilitate everything that we needed to do. And we gave them all the credit. I got accolades in, in our organization that the relationship between the two organizations have never been better, John. What are you doing? What's going on? And it was the simple fact of that boss giving me that little bit of advice that made all the difference and and I equate that back in the mission field especially in the growing areas of the church throughout the world it could be elder sister that you may have to do 50 percent of what the member ought to be doing and 100 percent of what you're expected to do and then give all the credit (laughs) back to the members and the leadership there and you will see miracles happen. It is one work, and we're all in this together, and we, we need to look at this not as us versus them, but we're here together, and, and it also depends on the relationship the missionary has with the members and with the leadership of the unit that they're assigned to. One of the things that caught my attention as you were talking, you talked about the coordination that was required. And on page 221 of Preach My Gospel, we're introduced to this, this important little huddle that, that, that we hope that missionaries will become really familiar with. It's called the Missionary Coordination Meeting. 
And uh, this is this is a place where where what you're describing, John, can really happen at a high level. Um, these are to be brief, informal. Informal doesn't mean they're not planned. They they are planned, and they're to be held each week. And the elders' quorum, presidency member, the relief society presidency member. Uh, some of our listeners are in the priest quorum, serving as assistant. You're you're part of this missionary coordination meeting. As are the the oldest class of yeah, young women, the, a member of women. their presidency. Yep. Uh, the the ward mission leader, the ward missionaries, and the full time missionaries. And this is to be a spirit led, uh, prayerful meeting to talk about four really important groups. Number one, those that the missionaries are currently teaching. And the reason we're talking about this is how can we work together, missionary and member, uh, those who are recently baptized. That's who we've been talking about. How, how are they progressing? We're going to the, the covenant path progress and we're reviewing that and, and making plans there. We're looking at the returning member. Uh, one of the efforts that missionaries make is to work with the Word Council to reach out to those that aren't attending church and to help them return. They're as precious as the recent convert, right? Whether I baptize a new convert or I help a person become active, again, this is all the same work. It's all ministry and it's all missionary work. And then the last part is is finding more people to teach. Something happens when members and missionaries in a huddle when, they, when they're prayerful and they're seeking the Spirit, revelation begins to happen. And, and we'll talk about specific people. So I hope that some of our listeners will get a little taste of that before they go on their missions because soon they'll be a, a big part of those meetings. My son in the Dominican Republic this week on Monday as we were talking to him, they're going to hold the very first missionary coordination meeting in this ward. They've never had one before. And, uh, and so we work through what might that look like and who, who's to be a part of that. And, and he was so excited and he, and he trusts the process that this is going to help not only find more people to teach, but work more closely to help assist those that were recently baptized, those that are currently being taught by the missionaries and so forth. Could I just share a little excerpt of, of a report that two separate missionaries gave of an area that they were working with? Here's what one wrote. Our MCMs, this is the missionary writing. Our MCMs, Which is meeting, missionary coordination meeting. Right. Our MCMs, no matter what we try, are ineffective. Not many assignments are made that we try to extend them, and we are only the ones following up on those assignments that are made. Usually they don't get done. Also, it's a boring meeting, and we're not sure how to fix it. No auxiliaries want to be there. We usually report and everyone else just listens. But there's no actual counseling together going on. The result is that we are left with a lot of work to do. We spend many hours of proselyting time calling for team-ups. Many times, we can't find anyone. Here's the same area with another missionary. The same area. I think I'm in love with this area. I was a little worried at first when I called our ward mission leader who told us he basically didn't have any time to meet with us. And I'm thinking, same problem. Then I realized... A little worried. worried. (laughs) Then I realized I had called the wrong person. (laughs) And I was happy to discover that all of the members are excited to do missionary work. The organization is in place. The meetings are happening. People are willing to go out with us. The list goes on and on. So help me understand... (laughs) The difference. 
of the same place. It's more than an attitude, isn't it? <laughs> like it's more than just a positive attitude. This is someone who's willing to do 150% of the work and give 100% of the credit to someone else. And isn't this, isn't missionary work such a great model for life in any relationship? Think of a marriage relationship or a companionship relationship. Give more than you think you should, right? And then return all the credit. And then watch what happens to your life and more importantly, what happens to your relationship. And in the end, you and I, we're going to leave this world and what are we going to have? We're going to have relationships. We're going to have our knowledge and we're going to have relationships. So it's a pretty big deal, you know? This is an opportunity and I think Brian's experience isn't just for other countries. This happens in our country because this is a relatively new concept, this meeting. It's relatively new. And if you have... Well, maybe not new. They just hit it in the Preach My Gospel, right? Yeah. <laughs> so no one knew about it. And that, but it is getting a lot of attention now. Thank you for that. Yeah, You're right. In the most recent General Authority <laughs> training, this is what they're training on is, is this missionary huddle, right? Yeah, because they're learning like that that just wasn't happening. People don't know how to run a meeting like this. You have, as, as a missionary, unique um, training in how to run a meeting like this. And you can really help this happen if you go about it in a charitable, loving way. And I think that's what I feel in that second response. Yeah, and, and also, as we mentioned before, in one, the person is looking, look at what you are not doing. You, you are not pulling your weight. And the other is saying, I'm excited, these people are excited, and we're going to make this place blossom like a rose. Remember back to um, the missionary purpose. We're there to invite and help. And if, if it's not succeeding, the question should be, how can I help? How can we help, elder or sister? What can we do to infuse this meeting with light? What training might these people need? Or, yeah. and, and we look at the very best and understand they need to be invited to come unto Christ. Um, it doesn't just say we invite non-members of the church to come unto Christ. We invite everyone to come into Christ by helping them rise up to their responsibility. And missionaries that have that mindset, I'm here to help rather than to condemn or judge. Uh, I remember Elder Pearson visited our mission, and he's just like, I don't want to hear you complain about the members. Do you realize what they're doing? Laid it out. He laid it down. (laughs) He's just like, you are 100% focused. They have many focuses. So anything you can do. And he said, you don't know what it's like to have a job <laughs> and a wife and kids and be mortgage and, and mortgage. You have no idea. You've got a car that's <laughs> being paid for and we put gas in it for you and give you a stipend for money. You have no idea what they're facing. And the truth is they don't. You know, I'm hearing all this and I'm thinking of the early pioneers when they, when they landed in Utah. And some who might have looked out and said, are you kidding me? This is a barren wasteland. Who would want to live here? Uh, And then those who looked at this and saw the vision of this place just ripe with potential and blossoming as a rose and the beauty that it is today. I think you hit on a big word there, vision. And where, where does that vision come from? And I think... That's where a missionary would be very wise to go to where the priesthood keys are. 
right? The priesthood keys in a given ward reside with the bishop. And I think if, if a missionary respects those keys, even if the bishop doesn't fully understand those keys and what he could be doing with those, to go to an area and say, Bishop, we're new to your area. We know you have the keys for the work in this particular area. Will you share with us what your vision is for the work? And frankly, the bishop might say, I haven't really thought about that. Bishop, how can we help you with that? How can we, how can we help establish a vision in this ward? What can we do to assist you? And all of a sudden, the bishop, without being told what to do, is like inspired to, oh, that is my role. What do I need to do? The bishop gets on his knees. He prays. Revelation comes from him to the ward council. And the missionary has just been a catalyst to help trigger the vision of the key holder instead of coming in and saying, Bishop doesn't have any vision, so we're going to have all the vision for the area and tell the ward what we're going to do here, right? It's reminiscent of Nephi, is it not, right? What happens when he needs counsel, instead of complaining and trying to come up with all the answers himself, he goes to the keys, goes to his father and says, help me. Yeah, that's a good example of that. Right? He says, you have, you are, I know who my leader is and I know who I know God called you as the bishop of this word. I trust you. Maybe you haven't thought to ask. Go ask and tell us what you find out and we are willing to do. It should feel like, okay, bishop, you're tired. You're overwhelmed. The cavalry has arrived. You know what I mean? You just got two sister missionaries and they're ready to kill it. You know, (laughs) you've got two on the ground to help you in any way you need. That's how it should feel. Such a good example because what happened to Lehi after that? He was in a funk. He wasn't really magnifying his calling in that moment. He was because he's human. He was complaining. He was having a weak moment as any human being would. But the invitation from his son to inquire of the Lord to see where they could go find uh, meat, so to speak, uh, woke him up, and you could see his immediate repentance and his total engagement. And that was. I think it awesome. If missionaries can see themselves as Nephi's and, and Lehi is the bishop, I think yeah. they can learn a ton from that scripture story. And the bishop delegates keys. Yeah. So we have to look at if if your bishop is, is overwhelmed or focused, maybe your bishop is really focused in another area that he really needs to be focused on. He's delegated those that priesthood responsibility to all of these other members of the ward council. So how can I help the primary leader? I, I just remember almost begging our missionaries, have you talked to the primary leader? <laughs> you know, you've got all these kids that are, are needing support. What could you do to help? And what better way, as we've talked before, about how to build trust with a word than to help their children? Members of the word council should be your best friend. Right. Yeah. So I think it is important that, that our our future missionaries here at least understand a little bit about priesthood keys uh, so they can understand this concept. In section 35 of the Doctrine and Covenants, verse 25, it says, And Israel shall be saved. There's a promise there. Israel is going to be saved. And then he says, In mine own due time. This is going to take time. This This is a process. And by the keys which I have given shall they be led and no more be confounded at all. And so this work is going to 
to go forward at the rate that we align ourselves with keys. So missionaries don't hold keys, but mission presidents do. Uh, Mission presidents hold keys for missionaries, for the temporal and spiritual welfare of the missionaries. The mission president holds keys for uh, convert baptisms and confirmations. But it's the stake president or, or the bishop the stake president for the stake, the bishop for the ward, or the branch president for the ward that holds keys for missionary work. He also holds keys for the members. And so the missionaries telling the members what to do, well, that takes them out of alignment. Absolutely. It's the bishop or the stake president who holds keys for the members. Help us, help us understand better how those two keys work together to make this uh, the, the gathering of Israel really take place. This is so important. I hope you're listening right now. This is so important to understand. How do the keys of the mission president, who works with full-time missionaries, and the keys of the stake president, and by extension the keys of the bishop, come together to make the work of salvation happen? I'll let Elder Bednar <laughs> share a response to that. It's <laughs> all right. He said this, when the keys held by a state president and mission president are aligned properly, when these two sets of complementary keys work in unity and in harmony, a revelatory conduit is opened and the powers of heaven can bless the work in a remarkable way. When we align ourselves with priesthood keys, he talks about that conduit into heaven revelation can begin to flow. Listen to the scripture in Doctrine and Covenants, section 128, verse 11. Now the great and grand secret, don't you love how that starts? Now the great and grand secret. Tell me what it is, right? Of the whole matter and the summum bonum of the whole subject that is lying before us consists in obtaining the powers of the holy priesthood. For him to whom these keys, there's our word, are given... There is no difficulty in obtaining a knowledge of facts in relation to the salvation of the children of men, both as well for the dead as for the living. And so keys open the door to revelation. Now missionaries can function under the keys of their mission president. And an elders quorum, a counselor in the elders quorum presidency or in the Relief Society or the young men, young women's, the word mission leader, as they function under these keys, as we get these two groups together, revelation comes. When missionaries try to do missionary work, missionary work happens to some degree. When members try to do missionary work, it happens to some degree. But when they come together, missionary members, under those keys, when there's alignment, revelation comes. The work progresses. So as I'm understanding it, as the missionary is following the counsel of their mission leaders under those keys, studying what they should be studying, uh, assigned to the area and staying within the area they've been assigned, uh, working in that area as they, as they follow the guidance under the keys of their mission leader, then are touching base with the key holder in the area of which they've been assigned and getting direction of where that key holder wants them to go within the area the mission leader has assigned them, then that and and as they're working with those people, 
as I understand what you're saying, Brian, the conduit of revelation is open to that missionary and also to the members. The conduit of revelation is open so the Lord can accomplish his purposes exactly as he wants to in that area. So a couple examples of how those keys, we might get this a little bit confused. I had a, a bishop one time who went out to dinner with a longtime non-member who he was friends with, who lived in his ward boundaries. And during dinner, he was able to help that person resolve a concern that they had held for many, many, many years. And the person in that dinner said, well, I just want, I guess I want to be baptized now. And this, this is a friend that had been 20 years. The bishop said, great, let's do it on Saturday. He just said, okay, you're, you're good to go. You know, you've had lessons in the past and let's just do this. And then the night before the baptism, I get a call from this bishop and he said, president, I'm so sorry. I've gotten ahead of myself. I realize I don't have the keys to baptize, to authorize the baptism of my friend and this is tomorrow <laughs> that this is taking place. Can you get your district leader over <laughs> here and uh, do a baptismal interview so that he can be authorized under the proper keys to be baptized? He just used to, as a bishop, operating. And if that person had been eight years old or younger, he'd be right within his keys. But as soon as someone turns 19... Nine. Oh, excuse me, not, 19, nine. I'll, I'll help Sorry. you, Sean. Yeah, thank I'll you. help you. For, 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 that's why we have four of us president, here today. I'll help you, President. I think he, through Revelation, just changed the age of accountability. <laughs> hey, yeah. I think as a parent, I'm okay with that. The age of accountability <laughs> should start at 19, right? Sounds that better. That would be awesome. Yeah. So if, 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 if think of all the things we could get rid of. <laughs> that's so true. So at age nine, that now becomes the responsibility, and the bishop can't determine whether a 12, 12 or 15 or 30-year-old is to be baptized. He should be consulted. He should be worked with. But ultimately, isn't it interesting in the order of the church, the keys of the mission president delegated down to that district leader will determine if that's the case. And there was a bishop who, who knew that but had forgotten it and then made sure it was done correctly before that happened. The mission president is the judge in Israel and he has delegated that to the district leader to judge whether that friend of the bishop is prepared yeah. to enter into the covenant, is the judge in Israel. The bishop is the judge in Israel over the person who is eight years old. Exactly. And that's so that's cool. where the keys are, are playing in that role and being the judge of Israel yeah. over the Lord's people. And by the way, the missionaries in that area did not have any problem with what the, <laughs> the bishop sure did. They, they were pretty pumped to report that next day. We just had a baptism, <laughs> that, you know, at, at our ward. So it's, it's neat when, when that all comes together. I'd like to give an example of what it looks like when a bishop has a vision for the work and utilizes his keys to direct the ward council, the missionaries, all of the effort within a ward, what can happen. And this, this story actually takes place in Sheffield, England, a place that I don't think typically is a hotbed for, for, for missionary work like you might see in South America or somewhere else. But watch what happens when missionaries and a bishop who, who's working through his keys begin to work together. I was in uh, uh, 
a leadership meeting with the president, state president. He'd um, he'd met with the area presidency, who'd met with the state presidents, and um, you know it was about missionary work. The thing that stuck out to me was uh, one of the things that President Gilmore said: how much are we willing to do um, to be successful in in our missionary efforts? So I prayed, I knelt in prayer, and uh, the next morning when I rose. I just felt completely comfortable about everything. I felt at peace. I have the keys for the work that I'm responsible for in, in this ward. And, we, and, and I know for a fact that that was inspiration for me to use those keys to start something that would be very, very significant. Bishop um, shared with us his vision for the ward. He had this vision of us increasing the, the strength of the ward numerically by a large number. That's how we came to be Ward Mission Leader and Assistant Ward Mission Leader. From that point on, it was game on. It was like, you know, this is serious stuff. This is the Lord's work. So I met with um, the Ward Council. We looked at goals for the year. They were bold and ambitious goals. We felt prompted, along with the, the full-time missionaries we were working with at the time, that we should set a goal for 24 baptisms. Now, that for our area was a high number. And we set a goal for reactivating families as well. We had the faith that we could do it. And then miracles started to happen. As the bishop and the ward council got actively involved in finding, teaching, baptizing, and rescuing, the work began to progress. The ward mission leaders took responsibility to find and coordinate opportunities for the missionaries to teach. They involved the members, and soon, members and missionaries were working side by side, teaching and testifying, rescuing, and inviting others to receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. I remember standing up in, in sacred meeting one time and talking and saying, I feel that there's a lot of work for us to do, that we'll grow, and that there will be a time when we open up those um, dividers in the cultural hall. And, uh, it will be full. It's happened. So within you know, a period of a year, um, we went from having two, maybe three baptisms per year to suddenly having 30 baptisms in the first year. And uh, within the space of two years, 50. The success of it, 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 it's not down to me. The success was down to the faithfulness of the individuals, uh, Brother Greg Nettleship, uh, Brother Robert uh, McEwen, who was recalled as, uh, called as War Mission Leader and Assistant War Mission Leader, respectively. They served diligently. I, I, I was just astounded. I was just, obviously I was actively involved, but I was also able to kind of take a step back and just look at everything that was happening. Amazing things that Heavenly Father was without question, directing and architecting along the way. And it was great to see all the miracles that were unfolding. What did you learn from the Sheffield, England experience there, their ward there? I think what caught my attention was the bishop's comment that he could see Heavenly Father was directing this work. And that's the conduit of revelation we were talking about that comes as we exercise keys and as we strive to align ourselves under those keys. When a group of people 
align themselves under those keys, Heavenly Father can really do his work. And, and there was one thing he said that just struck out to me over the whole thing. We had the faith that this would work. And so they all had to be working with the faith that they were doing the Lord's work and, and the miracles happened. You know, miracles like this don't just happen in England. They happen everywhere. I, I, we saw this happen in wards all over our mission in areas that had previously been ineffective areas, missionary work-wise, right? We saw that happening over and over again. I think we need to acknowledge that miracles happen in missionary work when vision and faith and keys come together and work. It's, it's amazing, isn't it? You have you have witness of that, don't you, Brian? Amen. Yeah. John, you've seen it. It actually happens. Yeah, one story I'd love to tell, I was uh, serving as a what's called an area director in seminaries and institutes and I would go to a meeting every year where all the area directors from all over the world would come to the meeting. And we would have people from Asia and Africa and Eastern Europe. And I started to become friends and acquaintances with these other leaders. And one day I heard one of my American counterparts talking to one of the African leaders. And he, this African was, they were talking about forming branches just overnight like the baptisms were so high and the work progressing so fast in africa and the american area director said to this african area director how do you do that down there like how is that happening and i just never forget his response he just said brother we have the restored gospel <laughs> it's just that simple we're like yep. i guess we have that in america too right you know but it was that simple powerful faith when you stop and think what we have, we have the restored gospel. We have Jesus Christ leading this work. And when we tap into that power and quit thinking of ourselves as just these kids from wherever and what business do I have being part of a miracle, and we start to really think that if this is God's work and if it really is true, that we should expect miracles. And I think that's what I saw with this group is the the vision came through that bishop and then the spirit hit the ward and they exercised faith in what they had learned. Did you notice and how astounded the bishop was by it? Yeah, he's like, like wow. he was astounded. He just he was like, I realized this is God's work. And that's I think those moments in missionary work that are so exciting when you realize, oh my goodness, I was a conduit to make something happen that was eternal and significant in nature. What we just heard was a, a perfect example of a ward mission plan that is described on page 222 and the ward following through and seeing the miracles. And, and I happened to come across something similar in the state of Washington when a particular ward had set a goal for 24 baptisms for the year. And, and I had visited the ward perhaps in about November, and they already had 20. And compared to all the other wards in the stake, and for that matter, many other wards in other stakes in, in the surrounding area, I was just curious, why was this happening? And I happened across in the foyer as I entered into the chapel 
a stack of the ward mission plan. It was small. Uh, it, there were only seven steps on it. And I looked at it. Man, this is simple. It followed exactly what page 222 and and I was asking the bishop, and I found out that the ward council had come together, and as the ward, they had all invested in it, and the full-time missionaries were the ones that were always in the homes delivering uh, reminders and keeping it in front of the members, and this was an energized ward yeah. focused on the work of salvation. And and the clip that we just played is, great example is, is a great example of that. I love preach my gospel because the Lord is giving away the secrets of how to accomplish the great gathering in the latter days, and uh, you know, for a for a young preparing missionary, uh, pages two twenty to two twenty two, I don't seem that appealing. But but you get these bolded titles in here. This is the who's who, and as a young person, I don't I don't I knew who my state president was, but I didn't know he had anything to do with missionary work. And I knew who the yeah. high counselor was that would come to speak once a month, but I didn't know he had anything to do with missionary work. And, of course, I knew the bishop. He was great. And, and, and the various ones. So you have these bolded titles of key players, the who's who of missionary work, right, uh, that I would, as a young missionary, want to establish a relationship with. Or at least this helps me understand their role in missionary work and how I can approach them. And, uh, and how I might interact with them in, in a way that can bring about the work of salvation within this, this area that we're assigned to serve in. I love that about the secrets um, because they are. They're not secret. They're right here. He's outlined it for us. There's nothing magical about what happened in that ward. They just actually made their meetings focused on what Preach My Gospel tells them to focus on. If I could say a word to the sisters... Um, who are preparing to serve, sometimes we don't read the text. We don't read what are the responsibilities of stake and ward leaders. Maybe because we have had fewer lessons on priesthood, or maybe those lessons focused on other aspects. That may be a possibility, but I just find a lot of the women that I know, they really don't understand what are the responsibilities? And so when they attend these meetings, they don't know their role. And they're, they're the power that they have and what they can bring to it. So I think understanding these, I agree with you, Brian. Every missionary preparing to serve or every missionary serving needs to understand these. Really read this. It's outlined perfectly in Preach My Gospel. So we're in the, we're in the business of reuniting Heavenly Father with His children. Every one of these souls is so precious, so valuable to God, as we talked about at the very beginning. And as we conclude, uh, we just want to reiterate that, that all of these things that we've talked about, the importance of working with stake and ward leaders, are all for the end that we can help Heavenly Father bring back His children into His presence and help them to become like Him. What a great work to be part of. It has been such an incredible thing to walk through every chapter of Preach My Gospel now in this podcast and to learn what the Lord has revealed to his leaders about how we can be successful. And I know if we'll incorporate and follow these principles that we truly can expect miracles. 
We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Preach My Gospel Mission Prep Podcast and that it helps you in your study of Preach My Gospel and preparing you for your mission. Please join us for our next episode. And if you feel this podcast might be helpful to others preparing to serve a mission, please invite them to join us on our journey through and discovery of Preach My Gospel. For more information on how to get institute credit for this podcast and other offerings by the Utah Valley Institute of Religion, please visit utahvalleyinstitute.com. You may also find us on Instagram at Preach My Gospel Podcast. Feel free to send questions or comments to Preach My Gospel Podcast at gmail.com. The Preach My Gospel Mission Prep Podcast is produced with the permission of the Utah Valley Institute of Religion. The hosts are expressing their personal views based on their own experiences, applying the principles of Preach My Gospel, and accept full responsibility for the content in these podcast episodes.